It's Thursday, September 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell, joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova. It's the law firm of David Kretzman and Aaron Bush. Thanks for being here, guys. Good to be here. Law firm. You, mi- you missed the green, <laughs> the green shirt memo, Chris. I did miss yeah. the green shirt memo. Damn it. Damn it, I'm always behind the times. Uh, we're, of course, going to talk about Apple's big event yesterday, and we've got Liberty Media back in the news. Let's start with Apple, though. The, the iPhone 7 event happened yesterday. We get a better camera. We get a water-resistant phone. And if you love headphone jacks, we have really bad news because the reports uh, that were going into the event of like, oh, you know, they're getting rid of the headphone jack. Yeah, they actually are. So wireless earbuds. What did you think, David? I, I liked the event. I mean, it's easy to to hate on Apple and say they're not innovative anymore, but th- this is still Apple is clearly still a leader, not a follower, and that's that's the position you want to be in. So I think it's only a matter of time before other companies are, are ditching the headphone jack. There are obviously a lot of jokes about it. You know, who wants to spend one hundred and sixty dollars for AirPods? You know, it, if you don't have wires on your earphones, it's easy to lose them. Things like that. But I just think it's the direction it's going from a hardware perspective. It leaves more space for other more meaningful things within the phone. A, sec- so. a second speaker as well for right. you know for anyone who wants you know doesn't want the earbuds. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, here you have improved battery life, improved cameras, improved speakers. Really, uh, all all across the the, the board. I, I think it's it was a positive event in terms of the iPhone. Yeah, I think that when you look back at the events that Apple has had, whether it's for the iPhone or for any of their devices, they they tend to fall into two groups. Uh, the smaller group is the, oh my God, I can't believe they're unveiling this. You know, the first time the iPhone is unveiled, the first time the iPad. There have been a couple. The larger group is, I think, what we saw yesterday, which is. Oh, this is interesting, and you know these are improvements. You know, there's nothing mind blowing, but that, uh, but, but definitely improvements. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the dazzle and surprise has definitely been removed at this point. Um, and when it comes to, I mean, such a massive company like this, you kind of get to the point where your own competition is yourself. It's your old phones, and so some of that dazzle and you know suite of new features is important in the sense of it determines how quickly people want to upgrade. And so when it comes with what they released yesterday, I think I mean people will definitely upgrade, but I don't know if just as an investor if I'd set my expectations ridiculously high for some, you know, earth-shattering beat that people are just dying to get this phone. Um, so there's that. I think um, the other interesting part about this though is a lot of these features actually set Apple up for the future and what they can build off of it with. Um, I think the camera is definitely one thing. Um, the the new camera system has its image processor has the ability to build um, depth images and capture um, 3D imagery um, in a way that's interesting. But what it really sets up for is that is the exact plugin for virtual reality. So it kind of hints. At that Apple is starting to to think about VR and whether we see you know Apple come out with a VR headset or something that's similar to what Samsung has done in their Gear VR. I don't I don't really know, but it points that they're thinking in that direction. So that's really interesting. And then with the the AirPods, I mean 
first of all, like 160 bucks for. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not. I'm not, you know I got to shell out 160 bucks for these wireless earbuds. Basically, and you you can also buy an adapter that goes through the charging port and use a traditional headphones. So I'm sure some people will do that. But I, I guess in terms of wireless headphones, $160 isn't actually all that unreasonable with what's on the market. And the AirPods yeah. do have some pretty cool features. And then Beats, which Apple bought a couple years ago, also has some new products coming out. So it's not actually that unreasonable. I think what what's pushing people to talk about it more is that the, the traditional headphone jack is gone. So you either have to yeah. buy wireless headphones or get an adapter. So it, it's a new way to to approach phones than people have ever seen before. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. I mean, it definitely is the way of Apple. And if you compare it to Android, I mean, that costs more than most Android phones, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. But the what I think is super smart about this, and this is how Johnny Ive introduced the AirPods, was um, basically saying that Apple believes in a wireless future. And um, when you kind of take that and look at the direction in which the Apple Watch is being um, taken with now GPS as being included in that and how just things are trending, you can tell that they're starting to think more about how can all of our devices work even better together, be more integrated. How can we just remove cords out of it? And it even points a little bit more towards, do people need iPhones on them 100% of the time? Or can we build something um, using Siri, using our services that they're developing um, to, to kind of put more reliance on other devices instead of just the phone? You know, Aaron, you mentioned the camera and hinting at we're getting some insight into where they are going. We can we can look at what they unveiled yesterday and think in terms of oh well here are some logical outcomes further down the line. I think in terms of the camera, you could also look back over the past twelve to twenty four months and look at the way Apple has spent money promoting the iPhone. If you just think about billboards or in the DC area, you're on the metro system and you see like these subway ads, what are they promoting? They're promoting the camera. They're prom- you know, it's these crystal clear photos and this was shot on an iPhone 6. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in hindsight you can look at that and go, "Oh yeah, they were they were doubling down on the camera. They were going to do that anyway." So that that um, uh, I I think you're right in that regard. You also mentioned the expectations. I'm wondering because one of the things, one of the bits of information we got yesterday was Apple saying we're not going to be sharing the numbers on the opening weekend sales, and I'm wondering, one way to read that is that Apple themselves are going low in terms of their own expectations of how many things they're going to sell, how many versions of the iPhone Seven they're going to sell that opening weekend. It could be, you know, personally, I would expect the iPhone Seven to perform better than the Six S did last year. So I, I, agree. I personally expect, in terms of units sold and revenue, that we will see year-over-year increases in both those numbers over the next year or so. Just want to hit a couple of things that stuck out to me with two things that people like to diss about Apple. You have Apple Music and the Apple Watch. Uh, I think it's actually really astonishing how far Apple Music has come since it launched in June 2015. They now have 17 million paying subscribers for Apple Music within about 15 months. 
only behind Spotify, which has 39 million paying members. But Spotify launched in 2008. So how quickly Apple Music has come to the the number two position in terms of paying music members is really astonishing. I, I expect that gap will close. And similarly with uh, the Apple Watch, you know, it gets a lot of hate. I think the uh, the Apple Watch Series Two that they announced yesterday will. Uh, go a long way in kind of expanding market share because you have a built-in GPS, which is great for runners and hikers. You don't have to carry your phone with you for the watch to really be useful. And it's also swim-proof, so if you're a swimmer, it's a lot easier to to track your your progress. But e- even so, up to this point, the, the the Apple Watch with just one one iteration uh, has more than 50% market share of the smartwatch market, and it's the number two watch brand, not just smartwatch brand, behind Rolex. So if those are flops. <laughs> Man, Apple could use more of those. That's an awesome yeah. position to be in. Well, and that was the thing about the Apple Watch that I, when they first unveiled it, that it sort of had me scratching my head a little bit. Even though I'm, I don't wear a watch, and I, I, at no point did I look at the Apple Watch and with an eye towards, well, if it has enough gadgets for me, I'm going to buy one. I'm, I'm just not someone who wears a watch. But I, I did think it was a little short-sighted of, of some of the critics of it. To think of it just in terms of, well, this is the version that is going to be in existence for the next 10 years. It's like, um, can we go back and look at the first version of the iPhone? Yep. And yeah. just, you know, it, it's subsequent versions and how much they improved over that. So, so, yeah, maybe the first version of the iWatch doesn't do everything you want. Can we revisit with this when they come out with the second version? Because I'm pretty sure it's going to be better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the issue, like Aaron mentioned, is Apple is a victim of its own success. People are comparing. Apple, the performance of all these different segments, segments whether it's services or new uh, hardware like the Apple Watch, against the uh, the iPhone, which has just been an astonishing success for Apple. So yeah, of course, in terms of iPhone, very few products will compare to that success. But you don't want that to be you know the standard of performance. Like the Apple Watch can perform very well, even if it doesn't perform as well as, as the iPhone. Mm-hmm. I think it's up to the developers at this point to really take what what Apple has been building, all the new features they've been adding, and then make it cool. And well, I think they've. I think they're on the trajectory to do that. Well, and 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 the timing is smart by Apple because. To that point, Aaron, you give the developers some time leading up, in, basically giving them one more month. Because if you think about October, and I don't know that a date has been set yet, but Apple is expected to have another event in October that's going to be more geared towards the Macs. Um, but having the watch in this event yesterday gives the developers one more time to sort of build uh, a, a more robust ecosystem as we lead into the holidays. Because I'm one of my thoughts when I was going through the notes of the event yesterday was, I wonder if Apple's watch this version makes the short list of hot gadgets for the holidays. I think so. I mean, I, I'm not one who's been you know attracted to you know fitness tracker trackers or, or watches, but the, the Apple Watch has a lot of cool features that, to my knowledge. The competition just doesn't have, and like Aaron mentioned, the robust ecosystem of, of apps that are supporting it. They have a partnership with uh, Nike for a special um, edition watch coming out in October. So the Apple Watch, in a lot of ways, is ahead of competitors. That's why it has the most market share. And I think the Apple Watch Series Two addresses a lot of the questions or concerns that prospective buyers kind of held off with with the first version. So I think the, the second iteration of the watch will will do really well. 
A circuit court judge in the state of Missouri has ruled against Tesla Motors in a case about whether Tesla can sell directly to consumers. Tesla already has a state dealership license where they can essentially have showrooms and show off the vehicles. They can't actually sell them. So, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I was saying right before we started taping, I saw this story yesterday. Uh, late in the day, and the first thought that went through my head was, "Is this still going on?" Like, like, like we, deja vu. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, we saw this a few years ago, and I, I really, that was my gut instinct. Like, oh wait, states are still trying to stop direct to consumer sales. The the auto dealership is a powerful lobby in pretty much every state in the country. Um, in the case of Missouri, uh, my understanding is, is that Tesla can still sell vehicles, or people can still buy the vehicles online. They just can't buy it directly in uh, the the Tesla service centers. So, I mean, I, I don't think this is going to thwart anyone who wants to buy a Tesla. It's like, I, okay, you can buy it online or just go a state over and, and pick up a Tesla. Because I, mean, I don't think anyone's going to say, ah, I can't get it in Missouri. I, I need to. I, I guess I need to get a, a Chevy or something, you know. Right. Um, Although Missouri's a pretty big state, so it get, is. getting one state over, depending on where you live in Missouri, might be a bit of a haul. Right. That, it, might, that might that might involve an overnight stay. That's true. <laughs> uh, but again, I think for uh, so the the demographic that Tesla is appealing to, I don't think uh, you know buying a vehicle online is necessarily going to thwart um, th- those buyers. And really, this is Tesla going up against the antiquated. Uh, business model of auto dealerships, and um, the, these dealerships have been protected protected by state laws for a long time. And one way to think about it is that Tesla is to vehicles what Dell is to computers. Whereas Tesla isn't making a ton of inventory and stacking them in lots, and then you go and you pick one that might have some features you don't actually really want or need. Uh, instead, Tesla is letting you custom order a vehicle. And they, they will custom build it for you off, off the facility line. So, in the case of Tesla and this direct consumer model, you don't need a lot full of, of vehicles. Instead, you just need two vehicles. You need one in the showroom, and then you need one that people can test drive. And that's just a much more efficient model that the Justice Department actually had um, a study that found that um, auto dealerships raise <laughs> the price of, of vehicles uh, compared to direct consumer sales. So, you know, Tesla's going up against uh, old laws. It's an antiquated business model, um, but I think in the end, it's just a more efficient way for um, for dealers to produce cars, kind of custom building cars straight off the assembly line. It's a lot easier in terms of inventory management, uh, and it's just a better customer experience because you can get a car for less, and uh, you can get that car uh, custom built. So I think it's only a matter of time before. Um, the the world and and the country moves that direction, but it will it will take some time as Tesla is learning. There were reports earlier this week that Liberty Media was going to buy a stake in Formula One racing. Those reports turned out to be somewhat inaccurate because this morning, Liberty Media bought all of Formula One racing for four point four billion in cash and stock. Um, Aaron, you were reminding me before we started taping, John Malone. Who heads up Liberty Media? He's he's got a lot of liberties. He does. There's Liberty Broadband. There's you know there's there's all these different oh, yeah. all these different liberties. But at age 75, John Malone not slowing down one bit. This is um, this is one of those sports that uh, is I, I I would argue probably bigger outside the United States than it is inside the United States. But just in terms of if you're just looking at 
viewership, if you're looking at audience for any one sort of particular franchise, this is one of the most popular ones in the world. Oh, yeah. So they're buying it for over $4 billion. Mix of cash, stock, convertible debt, typical Malone complexity yes. here. Um, and it's actually a pretty big deal for Liberty Media. Liberty Media is about a $7 billion company. And so this, so this, Really moves the needle for them. Granted, there are like six liberties, which which you were kind of talking about. So it's it's maybe not as much of a needle mover in the entire Liberty Empire, but for Liberty Media, um, it is a pretty big deal. Um, and my very first gut reaction to this was, what? Like normally he does more traditional type media. He orchestrated Charter buying Time Warner. He helps Lionsgate merge with Stars. I guess that's ongoing, but more of that type of thing. But you know, Formula One, that's a sports company. Um, but after, you know, looking into it a bit more, I I think it it's actually pretty typical Malone. So sports are probably the stickiest piece of the entire cable ecosystem. Um, you know, many shows and movies can be found on streaming sites these days, but sports are really what keeps cable um, the most alive, I think. And Formula One is more of a niche sport, still popular in its own circles, has a massive audience, but it really fits right into what Liberty has been doing. And I think this move was probably inspired just by seeing how successful ESPN has been, um, really just raking in tons of money from these cable companies to put in their packages, but also by seeing Discovery, which is another Malone influence entity, acquire and succeed with Eurosport, which is a dominant sports channel in Europe. So. I actually think this fits right into what the Liberty Empire has already been doing. I think sports is a really smart place to be if you're going to be in cable. And I don't think there is a whole lot of competition for Formula One. I think it, you know, it's pretty much a standalone thing where those fans aren't just going to suddenly not be fans overnight. So, I mean, if sports and Formula One has the potential to keep their properties stickier. And potentially lead to to higher prices when things get bundled up. I think it's probably a smart move. Yeah, th- like Aaron mentioned, this is definitely more of a niche sport. It's a niche audience. Um, but I, I was looking, and uh, viewership has actually gone up from about nine and a half million uh, Formula One viewers in 2011 to about eleven and a half million. Last is that year. just in the U.S.? I think that's in, in, in just in the U.S. Okay, I have to double yeah. check. Um, so, so it is a smaller audience, obviously compared to the NFL or the NBA right. or NHL. But that that can still be very valuable, and especially as um, the the media landscape shifts to direct consumer or over the top um, uh, consumption of of that content. These niche properties will become valuable, and, and mm-hmm. is is they're they're well worth pursuing. It's. Uh... I don't know a ton about the racing world, whether it's Formula One or NASCAR. That being said, it's hard for me to think about these types of sports being disrupted in any sort of significant way in the way that you hear about, for example, with football. There are There's an increasing number of people who look at professional football, not soccer, professional American football, and the growing amount of evidence when it comes to you know injuries, particularly brain injuries, um, uh, the effect of, of football on the brain, and think you know what, the NFL staggeringly popular, staggeringly profitable, but uh, ten years down, you know, let check back with me in ten years or or twenty years, that sort of thing. Racing, I just sort of look at it and go, I'm I'm not, I I don't see any sort of either long term threat. Or long-term disruption, even with autonomous 
driving potentially coming an autonomous vehicle race boy that yeah. would be exciting i mean you know there was a time in this country's history where one of the two or three most popular sports was horse racing people like racing people like, so whether it's horse you now that obviously that's declined over time mm-hmm. but i think there's always going to be an audience for watching how fast can we make this thing go whether it's a human being a horse or a vehicle so you know what that that may be disruptive to the drivers themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they may be out of a job, but if you're if you own a Formula One team, yeah, maybe you're maybe you are actually looking at autonomous vehicles and just sort of thinking, oh, okay, somewhere down the line, I I don't have to pay as I don't have to pay to put someone behind the wheel of the car. Someone's still got to drive it. Someone's yeah. got to maneuver it, but they're going to be doing it from I don't know from a booth somewhere. Yeah, I would think part part of the intrigue with, with racing is you know the human element of it, whether it's it's running or or uh, horses or motorcycles or cars. So I think I, I would think that there there will be some human element. And I, I don't know if I'm, I'm sure some people would be interested in just watching you know robotic autonomous <laughs> cars racing around a track for four hours. But I think the the human element probably makes it more intriguing. I don't know. As long as Ricky Bobby is involved somehow. That's all I care about. There you go. All right. David Kretzman, Aaron Bush. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Also, uh, happy 50th anniversary to Star Trek for all the Trekkies out there. Got to mention that. And there are a bunch here in the office, including one who will remain unnamed who said to me, You're going to talk about this in the podcast, right? And I said, Yeah, of course. Are you a Trekkie, Chris? <laughs> um, I, I am not a huge Trekkie. I enjoy the, the, Movie. This most recent reboot, the J.J. Abrams reboot. I I really enjoy those. Um, I enjoy the camp value of William Shatner. Um, yeah. And for people who are hardcore next generation Star Trek fans, I enjoy tweaking them slightly by just pointing out that Captain Kirk was a superior captain to Captain Jean Luc Picard. Mm. Not that I particularly care one way or the other. I just find that for people who are very passionate <laughs> about Star Trek: The Next Generation, they get really upset when you say that. No. Yeah, disproportionately so. What about you? Uh, same for me. I, I I think you you have me beat as far as your Star Trek you know acumen. But uh, yeah, I, I've enjoyed. I, I haven't seen the latest Star Trek reboot, oh. but I saw the first two and I enjoyed those. Yeah, it's good. You? Pretty much the same. All right. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.